Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s, finding out what happened to her or your in the game, sister. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Search for hidden objects from the parlours of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter uncovers a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve, and I've had a lot of fun. Currently on chapter 7, making progress little by little, tapping away on my phone to get all the puzzle pieces in place. While searching for the murderer, or whatever happened to your sister, you get to decorate your own island with gardens and buildings and chat and play with other Others by joining a detective club. It's a lot of fun and very social. I play while I'm on the train. It keeps me active between my journeys to London and I love the time limits that are pushing me to find those clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you are part of the movement and the cause, you do think it almost never happens. People were not saying that the abuse didn't occur. They were saying that you are at fault for bringing it outside the tribe. Take care of the kid, convict the molester if you need to, but please keep it quiet. Wow. Welcome to another episode of On the Edge with Andrew Gold. Scouts Honor, Sexual Abuse in America's Most Trusted Institution was a book, is a book, by Patrick Boyle, today's guest. And it first came out in 1994. And now there is a Netflix uh, documentary basically drawing on what Patrick found, which was just amazing. I think nowadays it's almost a cliche. It's a, a, a wink, a tongue-in-cheek, I don't know, a sort of a nod to uh, pedophilia or paedophilia, as we say in the UK, when you mention the Boy Scouts, unfortunately, a little bit like the Catholic Church, a little bit like many cults and religions and institutions, but the Boy Scouts in particular... And it's funny to think, or strange to think, that before Patrick's book, before this all came out in the 90s, not much was known about this, and it wasn't really talked about. What Patrick found was really, really remarkable, and we have a really honest conversation about what needs to be done, why this happens, and how people were able to get away with just extraordinary amounts of sexual abuse of children for such a long time across such a large part of the United States and the rest of the world where scouts or similar programs were being practiced. And I think it's really important for us to learn more about how predators work and how institutionalized predators and institutionalized paedophilia works. Because it does happen. It is a real thing. It's not a conspiracy. There is ample evidence and Patrick has uncovered a lot of it and I think the best way to guard against it is to be educated about it so I hope you guys find this interesting uh, and helpful and educational please do go get hold of Scouts Honor Sexual Abuse in America's Most Trusted Institution by Patrick Boyle um, and, and send some love his way find him on, on socials send him a nice email or something like that he got a lot of hate over the years there are all sorts of big episodes coming up but now you're on the edge of boy scouts and sexual abuse in america with patrick boyle What did you find? We're just going to go straight into this. In the confidential files about 
boy scots these are also known as the perversion files i believe yes they are and and, and thanks andrew it's great to be here um and i see you covering this very sensitive topic and it's very important too yeah i had several thousand of these files literally at my house a couple of thousand and i learned a lot about how these perpetrators exist in the youth servant organization basically literally sitting on my living room floor reading files taking notes i saw how the boy scouts in particular was especially vulnerable to these um these these guys assaulting children uh because of the fact that it gave people lots of opportunity to be alone with children it let let you pick kids of a certain age group to lead because you may have a preference for eight ten twelve year old fourteen year old whatever it is it put people adults in an incredible position of authority they wore the uniforms they controlled your merit badges um, and so they could really, uh, the kids obeyed them. I mean, they were literally taught to obey these scout leaders. Um, and they were also people who, of course, had incredible trust in their community, um, you know, trust with parents. And they have many, many opportunities to bond with boys and frequently in a very good way. They were mentors to the kids. They became friends to the kids. I mean, good scout leaders can really change a young man's life. But they also had a lot of opportunity to, to form close relationships, spend a lot of time alone in their homes with the kids overnight you know, sleepovers at their houses. Basically, the files showed the continuing vulnerability of scouting to these guys infiltrating the scouts, attacking the kids, and then keeping it secret. What is really sad is something you just touched on, actually, which is that a good scout leader can, can change someone's life. Uh -huh. It's so sad that the good work that those people do gets overlooked, obviously, because of these awful, awful people. Do you have a rough idea, and it's probably, I guess you can only really speculate, as to what percentage of scout leaders were up to no good? Yeah, we don't have a percentage, and believe me, I tried to figure that out. Um, and it, it, it's the Boy Scouts would always tell you it's infinitesimal. I can just give you some basic numbers. Uh, you know, right now the Boy, I found, I ended up with about 2,000 files covering 20 years. These were leaders who were kicked out of scouting, so obviously that's just a part of it because most of them aren't caught. And right now, the Boy Scouts are, you know, of America are going through a bankruptcy proceeding in which 82,000 former scouts have made claims about being sexually abused uh, at some point during their lifetime. These go back to the 1980s. So it's, there's an awful lot of cases. Um, yeah, I will say that, you know, experts on this will tell you that the people who do this, and it's mostly men, so I'm going to say men every now and then that's a woman, but the men who do this are incredibly prolific. So they will have several, if not dozens of victims over their lifetime. So it's very hard to tell. And I, I think, you know, you make a really important point. Um, people sometimes ask me, should scouting be eliminated, et cetera? I, I don't think so. I think scouting is does an incredible amount of good for an incredible amount of people. Of course, it started in England. And I think, you know, one of the things that is forgotten here, as you said, is that the vast majority of scout leaders are good people. And I think one of the things that's very sad about this is that the organization is different than the people in the field who run scouting, right? The organization is a company that makes a lot of money, has a headquarters, um, and that corporation behaved in a way that covered up the abuse and it also kept it even from the people in the field who were running the program. They had no idea what was going on. And and that really left them hung out to dry. And they also didn't know how to how to deal with it when it when it happened. Oh, it's 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 so complex and I, I keep finding you know I do a lot of work on cults, for example. Yes. Wherever you get like a closed group particularly a hierarchical one where people don't want to say that somebody who's higher than them did something bad. This seems to happen. I get the impression that 1% of men 
uh, have this condition or illness or whatever we might call it or inclination. I mean, um, and if you just have enough men in a closed off space like that, that it, it can happen. And so we see it, you know, the Vatican, but you see it also in different religions, various, right. every religion, anytime that's happened, every cult. And, and unfortunately, the Boy Scouts, I mean, is it, do you think it might just simply nowadays, and this is really sad, be impossible to have such a large group that predominantly uh, involves children? I would hate to say that. It's a, it's a really good question to ask. I think you're right about the cultish behavior. Um, even in scouting, one of the things that, one of the patterns was, the circle of weddings is a cliche, but it's certainly a pattern you also see in religious groups, as you said, and, and in cults of everybody basically denying what's going on or attacking the accusers, the kids, the parents, all for the sake of protecting the organization and what they would call the movement. And you're right. One of the things I did learn from this is that loyalty to an organization can be really damaging to the people in the organization and to, to the organization itself, ultimately. Uh, the, the blind loyalty that some people have shown to religious groups, for instance, we've seen it here in the States a lot, but not only in the Catholic Church, but with all different religions, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you know, some, some Orthodox Jewish groups, really um, denying that these things occur, keeping information from the authorities, Again, uh, you know, really attacking the people, making the accusations and making their lives miserable, all for the sake of protecting what they think is, is a much bigger cause, which is a movement. But frequently the people doing this don't really understand the extent of the problem within their own organization because they're, they're choosing to be ignorant about it. I, I think, you know, you can have if, if a group is going to be transparent about this. You can certainly have a large youth serving organization, uh, for instance, the Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. Here in the States, um, in the 80s, confronted this pretty head on, uh, captured up their cases, looked at their files, educated their leaders about it. And that's also a group, as you can imagine, Andrew, it's very vulnerable. The boys there are very vulnerable because, and the girls, because you have one on one relationships. It's defined that way. You spend a lot of time alone with your big brother or big sister. They do have, um, you know, abuse cases occasionally, but not to the extent they don't have the scandal that the Boy Scouts have had and the Catholic Church has had and some other church organizations. Um, and I think that's largely because of the way the organization handles it. I like to tell people that, uh, you know, offenders don't cause sex abuse scandals in youth organizations. Uh, the organizations cause them by the way they respond. So I, I think you've got, I think transparency would be the answer to your question. The problem is though, um, that most groups in order to function they have to have a certain level of cultishness, to, to, not just to function, but to have huge levels of success. So I imagine I've never been in the Boy Scouts, but I've gone to sort of uh, summer camps and things like that. And there is a lot of chanting and singing mm -hmm. about how, you know, we're all mm -hmm. one, we're all part of the same right. thing. And I guess that's part of what indoctrinates the children to want to go back and feel tribal and loyal. And as a result, I suppose that that's where you lose some of that transparency in any kind of closed group. So I just wonder if that's, uh, even possible to create something so big and iconic that also has transparency. I mean, that's the idea. Is I mean, that's the ideal. Right. That's what we want. But it's just so difficult to get, and, and, and people start to close and become these closed-off factions. And um, does does um, abuse ever happen between the kids? Because again, I don't know yeah. much about. It. I know the scouts started in England, uh, but I don't think it's that big in England now. I don't unless I've just missed out on it. I never, yeah. you know, I didn't know much about it. But I imagine there were older kids who are maybe they got sixteen or seventeen, and then the kids who are younger. So is that happening? Yes, absolutely. Um, I didn't find many files of uh, boy on boy cases, but that's because the scouts 
didn't really look for it much and, and they treated the boys differently. Mm. But one of the issues the scouts still have to deal with, I am told by people who run the program, is that, you know, boy on boy abuse is a continuing issue. It always has been. Uh, I don't know how extensive it is, but, uh, you know, it is a place you put, this happens in, in schools as well, especially when you have yeah. uh, single sex schools. Um, Boarding schools. You know, there's a lot of, right, exactly. There's a lot of experimentation that goes on. There's a lot of bullying mm-hmm. that goes on. Um, and so I, I think that it's something that any youth group, especially single sex youth groups have to watch out for. And I don't know how much they've tried to deal with that. I just know, obviously, if it's found out about, they do something about it. But um, it certainly occurs. It does make everything so difficult. And, and as I was alluding to before, it's such a shame that you do get these bad people. I know, of course, as you say, how the organizations respond is important, but also ideally you wouldn't have these bad people doing bad things. Right. And when I was a camp leader, when I was 19 in, in California, this, this uh, off by Bass Lake in Fres- near Fresno, Yosemite, and all yeah. that beautiful, had a great time, and I was looking after these kids. But we were always told, you know, never be in a cabin, just you right. and one of the kids ever, mm-hmm. just in case. And it, it's just like, it, it becomes almost impossible to do your job because then this kid who was nine or 10 went into the cabin and started getting, sort of exposing himself and and pissing out the window of yeah. the cabin. <laughs> and at that point, I'm just like, you know, saying to someone who's older than me, just can someone please come and do, because I can't go near this. I'm yeah. not, I am not gonna, he seems to be pissing out the cabin. I haven't properly looked, <laughs> someone go and sort this out. Yeah. It just, it's a shame though. Hey, you know, you, you mentioned, um, sometimes women i just think that's an interesting point so that does i mean obviously it's rare that does happen then that the women can sometimes be abusers in this sense yeah it does happen um and we had a few cases that we looked at in our files where, where there were women uh it'll, and you know the scouts for a long time didn't allow women to be scout leaders but then they did um and so you do this a minority but they it does happen um interestingly enough uh we haven't been able to find out much about how often this happens in the girl scouts for instance uh they don't appear to have the file system that the Boy Scouts had, if they have such a system, they've denied it, to me at least. Um, so it certainly happens. But, you know, the, the sense is that men tend to be more sexually predatory um, and that this just happens more with men. But certainly it's, it's going to happen with, with women as well. No, I bet it does. And I, in my research, I met uh, a woman, a 25-year-old, who, who, who had the condition. She said she's never actually done anything, but she has wow. the attraction. Ah. Uh, but, yeah, she, and it's really rare to meet meet a woman like that um, I, because I spoke to I, you, know, I, you know your point just to your point if I can just a minute ago your experience at camp was fascinating and first thank you for working at a camp in, in California but um, yeah I've had people say it is sad I remember a scout leader talking to me about it boy he started crying a young boy and came up for a hug and this scout leader said I, I had just gone through this training where they really stressed oh. not to put yourself in a position of what am I going to do now, in that case, you said, luckily, there were other people around. Um, so it was okay. But, you know, I've been a, a sports coach for many years, and I had the same issue. Once I found myself in an equipment shed with a kid, uh, and I was showing him some, some things, really literally showing him some things about the infield and how to play out of position. And because uh, that's just how we were getting bass out and things like that. And the door was open, and somebody walked by and looked at me, and I thought, oh, I can't, I can't be in here with this kid. We yeah. have to do, I have to get the bats and gloves and get out as soon as I can and continue to have the conversation. Uh, teachers go through this all the time, of course. Um, you know, a kid mm-hmm. alone in a classroom, the door closed, um, you've got to open the door, you've got to do something. And there are some situations where the kid doesn't want the door open. And there are some situations where the kid wants to have a one-on-one talk. And it's very difficult. And it's really sad for people in that position who really mean well and can really help kids. 
I suppose it's just one of those situations where there's not, as far as I can think of, unless you've got an idea, I don't think there's much we can do. because Again, when I was, cause I was researching in Germany, just because I happened to be looking into a therapy called Don't Offend Kindheit Werden in Germany. I was living out there for a bit and investigating, and right. they have this system where they don't report these people who come for therapy to authorities, okay. providing mm-hmm. they come and get help. That's the idea, and then they don't offend. That's, that's, that's what they're trying to do. So I got to speak to those people and interview them, and they, you know, they say, I've never offended, I've never done it, but I have to struggle with these feelings. And then they say, but I think I, I'm going to work, I want to work with children, you know, like, like a, an alcoholic working behind the bar. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, hang on, you, that's not what you should be doing. Right. And they're like, no, no, I, I just love being around children. I'm not going to do anything to them. But I just, and, and so a lot of them do move towards those careers, unfortunately. It's just, it's just a fact. And it's just so sad for the 99%, if it is that, who are, who are good people. But there's nothing we can do, is there? No, I don't think there, you know, you set up guidelines and, and you, you Know, you try to enforce them as best you can, you know. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, what you just said is really striking because a lot of these guys um, also really do like children and they're very good yeah. with kids. I mean, I the guy I based the book on, Carl, was an incredible youth group leader. Uh, and they were, they were, and you know, they don't do this to every kid they know. Uh, I talked to lots of kids in troops, and many of them were never touched by these guys uh, for whatever reason. And, the person didn't have the attraction. They didn't have the opportunity. Um, maybe the kid seemed like the kind of kid who would tell. But nevertheless, mm. these guys really, when they got kicked out of scouting, really missed scouting and working with kids because there was something they were good at. And sometimes, really, they got along with kids better than they did with adults. Um, and that's yes. certainly a warning sign. But what are you going to do when somebody is just good with kids? We, we've all had it. We've had teachers. We've all probably had youth group leaders or there's a coach. Uh, somebody in scouting, somebody at camp. You know, you may have been, you may have had kids who particularly liked you at, at camp um, and gravitated toward you. And, and may, <laughs> but you know, what do you? Maybe you were just that kind of guy, and that doesn't make you bad. Um, and it's hard. I think mm. the main thing is, you know, you talk about going back to the cult mindset. I think that it's hard to do this, but if all the adults in adults in an organization or in a group are at least willing to know, to recognize and respond to a situation that they think might be inappropriate. That helps an awful lot. It, it, it's awkward because you don't want people throwing accusations around it and it's a people. But if they all know, look, we're not supposed to have private one-on-ones. If you have it, everybody's got to know the teacher's meeting in the classroom with this kid. Uh, this it, You just have to, everybody's got to have their eyes open and not be naive uh, and not be too protective of the organization. Hopefully they're not circling the wagons just because they want the movement or the cause to continue um, without harm because the kids are more important than the cause. Man. Well, that's it. It's that cause. and uh, Yeah, when they, I don't know if they liked me. They made fun of my accent a lot. It made it difficult to sort of have any authority because everybody just came back. Oh, hello. Do you want some tea? Like these like kids. Americans. Yeah. yeah, we do that. Although I always loved that accent. I would I would imitate it. Um, just because I thought it, I thought it was beautiful, so that's funny. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a great. It was a great. You know what? The kids were from these very wealthy families, and it was a whole new experience because I wasn't used to sort of groups and and uh, camps and things like that. You know. Uh-huh. So, um, it, but it was it was such a great experience. It was, we had like Antonio Banderas's kids were there. Like they, they were like these super, you know. So they were just used to like answering back, and they were just like, "Oh yes, Andrew, whatever you want," with this exaggerated accent. But no, it was it was it was good fun to to an extent. It was it, I got a bit 
yeah. tired by the end of it. But it was it was lovely. Um, <laughs> but but speaking of you know the way that people just protect uh, regardless because they're so worried about the institution and that's yeah. what they want to defend primarily. What kind of reaction were you getting when you started uh, speaking out and writing your book about this? Well, um, a lot of people who were involved in scouting, even peripherally friends I had, would say, "Why are you doing this?" You know, why are you causing this harm to the scout? So there's this assumption. This happens a lot as a journalist. When you when you really get after a friends and government institution, they think, oh, you must hate us. You know, you must have so you yeah. must have an agenda. You must have something out. And, you know, I, I literally didn't. I, I I was never in scouting, but I didn't have anything against it. I knew kids who were in it. I thought the uniforms were kind of square. But hey, if you can do go to school in that <laughs> uniform, good for you. Um, and but people were saying, why don't you investigate something else? I had a good friend who said, why don't you talk about nuclear war, nuclear weapons. And I said, I don't have any special files about nuclear weapons, but I do have these files about sex abuse and Boy Scouts. Um, so when we got a lot of angry. When I first did the newspaper series before the book, the newspaper series, the Washington Times, um, yeah, we got a lot of angry letters, canceled subscriptions, you, you, you know, this almost never happens. And of course, if you are part of the movement and, and the cause, you do think it almost never happens. That's part, going back to the transparency we talked about, the people in the movement, the soldiers in the field who are running these programs, um, really by and large don't know what's going on in terms of abuse. And so they really do, they do get hurt and they do think, um, you know, you're doing something horrible to something that they've invested a lot of time in. I will say, Andrew, over the last 20, 30 years, which is how long ago this started, the mood here in the States has changed considerably. Right. Uh, you know, back in the 80s, you hadn't had the Catholic church abuse scandal yet. Um, people were not really going to pay that much attention to institutional abuse issues. Um, they, they couldn't wave it away. Because of lawsuits, because of publicity, um, because of criminal charges, I think at least this culture is in a different place now. And now when you hear about it, people are less likely to give the institution a break, so to speak. Um, the scouts definitely got a break for a very long time and everybody in the state said you know boy scouts is afraid when you call somebody a boy scout you know it used to really mean something very good right you were very clean you were wholesome you were honest um and so juries for instance would give the scouts a really big break on in lawsuits they would you know not award the victim any money or award very little but then we got to the point by the late 90s and early 2000s where the scouts were getting hit with millions and millions of dollars in damages from, from lawsuits because Juries had changed their minds, and they were looking at it differently. So it, it took a long time for everybody to kind of wake up to this and, and see it for what it is. It's amazing how culture, we don't really think about it, but culture shapes law to such an extent. Yeah. So uh -huh. the culture's changed, and now legal uh, sentences and things and, and uh, money and things change. But, of course, as you, as you say, when you first put this book out, that was 1994. It was originally published. Uh -huh. Obviously, the Netflix documentary is out now. It's taken quite some time to come out. Yeah. But uh -huh. as you, that was a totally different time in the 90s. Nobody wanted to, to admit to any of these, as you say, any of this kind of... I suppose we just close our minds to it because we don't want to believe it and we want to defend the institutions. Did it ever get to the point where you were getting sort of scared from people being aggressive towards you? No, no, thankfully. Uh, that's happened to me as a journalist in a couple of other cases, but not, not in the case of the boys. Mm. I did not have angry scout leaders threatening me physically. Um, they were, people were just, um, you know, they, they had some people barking me over the phone, but that was about it. People were just um, wishing I wouldn't go to this place. I remember talking to a scout leader uh, in, in the state of Wisconsin here about a case where he had helped keep an abuse case out of the local newspaper. And by the way, he was the publisher of that newspaper. 
So um, he, he convinced his editors not to write about it. And I said, why do you do that? And he said, because you journalists always blow this out of proportion. The number of abuse cases and scouting is infinitesimal. Now, I had the files a few feet away from me, so I knew where the number was. And I said, oh, really, what's the number? And he said, I have no idea, but it's infinitesimal. And that was <laughs> that was exactly summarizing the attitude most people had. And frankly, you can't you can't blame them. I mean, he didn't know. The scouts aren't going to put in an annual report about here's how many scouts were abused this year. But the yeah. fact is, because you don't know and because you don't hear about it, you think it's infinitesimal. So you think that quashing it makes sense because you don't want to see your, your movement and your cause destroyed by such a what you think is a small problem. You know what's even darker? I've got I just a dark thought came into my oh. mind now, and, and no one's no one's going to want to admit to this. Okay. Nobody's going to right. So everyone's going to hate me for saying. Some people, just some, probably th might think that okay, maybe it does happen, but it's more important to me that my favorite organization continues because I want my kids to go to this, and I want to, and, and as long as there's a good chance they won't be attacked, probably. I don't mind that it goes on because my thing, my tribe is more. That, I mean, I think that's just because I've never. I just, I constantly, I'm so amazed by how strong the tribal response is, and I bet it goes even as far as to not just pretend it's not happening, but to even think it might be happening, but I just don't want it getting out because I love the Boy Scouts so much. I think you're absolutely right. I think that happens in all sorts of organizations. I know, again, nobody was bold enough to express it to me the way you just did, so congratulations. <laughs> but I think it's, a, it, it's a, to, to voice that, I, I think for a lot of people who say, okay, I, I agree that this kid was abused, but it shouldn't bring down the whole thing. And you're right. My kid's in this. Mm -hmm. I see all the good this organization does. So, yes, take care of the kid. You know, you know, convict the molester if you need to, but please keep it quiet. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. give, give, you know, provide some money for counseling, et cetera. I remember a, a case, this involved a, an Orthodox Jewish group in, in New Jersey where uh, a family was hounded publicly by the community for going to the authorities to make a complaint about abuse. And people were not saying that the abuse didn't occur. They were saying that you are at fault for bringing it outside the tribe. Basically, we have mm -hmm. an internal process. So we have a council here that handles all wrongdoing. And you should keep it within the council and not report to the secular authorities because they, they we are not a part of that world. And I mean, I'm talking about how did them like putting up flyers about the family and the community, about how horrible they were. Um, so wow. that does happen. There's a sense of let's deal with this internally, even if it happens. Um, and that's what the Catholic Church did for a long time. And the Catholic Church was basically yeah. saying we have our own internal system for this. There's no reason to go outside because number one, we don't trust the secular authorities. And number two, the damage that will cause the organization is greater than the damage done to one individual. They don't, they don't even respect the outside authority. No, they got no, no respect for like the police and stuff. The, we, Scientology is another one. Uh, the, yeah. I don't know if you know about the acts of Danny Masterson. He's now gone to prison for 30 years uh, for what he was doing to adult women in Scientology. Right. Um, but for years, Scientology knew about it and didn't really care. Right. But now he's been excommunicated, not yeah. for what he did, but because he's brought Scientology into disrepute in the wider oh. world. So that's, that's oh. what it, yeah. But they don't respect the like police and stuff. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses is another one. They've got this yes. uh, two witness rule. Like it didn't happen unless there were two witnesses there. And even then, it's got to go to their elders. It's not going to go to like the rest of us or you know with the, the secular police. The, the Hasidic Jews, like I got so much shit from people because you know you always get 
more when you're seen as like an apostate. And because yeah. I'm Jewish, um, but certainly not Hasidic Jewish, I mean, I'm an atheist, just secular Jew, but they know that. And so I, I haven't talked about the child stuff going on, but there's just, just what happens to women in that organization. It's just enough for me to do videos about. Right. And they go mad in the comments. And I'm like, you're not supposed to have internet to do the comments to be angry at me. So put that down, you weird. No, I don't know. Um, hey, tell me how many, how many people, because I know you were saying like 80,000 or so, you know, that was the figure of like kids who, who were speaking right. out. Um, but I think I forgot to ask, you know, well, how, out of how many, how many people are in the scouts? What is, what's going on? Like, who, is it just most people are going to the scouts? I mean, um, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know the latest numbers. I mean, they always have several hundred thousand scouts annually, you know, on different levels, et cetera. And one of the things that's really difficult about that is you don't know how involved the kids are. So if you say you have 500,000 Boy Scouts, if you count them all, some of the kids n almost never go. You know, they sign up and they go to a meeting, but some kids are incredibly active, et cetera. So, and, and that's why it's hard to figure out how prevalent this is mm -hmm. because there are a lot of kids who just aren't going to be targets anyway because uh, they just not around often enough. Uh, but no, you know, scouting is also in the States has really gone, uh, and has really taken a big hit over the years. I know their numbers have been decreasing. Um, and part of the reason is this, you know, part of the reason we were talking about churches, you know, that the Mormon church in the U S pretty much dropped out of scouting, uh, because of a lot of the rules, um, they were instituting about sex abuse and also about allowing homosexuals into scouting, et cetera. Those <sighs> cultural changes, um, you know, it's interesting how the scouts, uh, you know, reflect, society and more than leave society people you know it actually reflects changing culture i mean there was a time in the states when um, you know black youth weren't allowed in scouting that changed they were actually a little bit ahead of the curve huh. on that that changed fairly early they integrated troops and certainly girls weren't allowed and homosexuals weren't allowed and that's changed so you know the mormon church here in the states was one of the ones that just engaged in the behavior that you just talked about where when there were abuse cases involving mormon troops the mormon leaders insisted that the people not go to the authorities that they would handle it internally and that went on quite a bit eventually the mormon church which was one of the largest sponsors of troops along with the catholic church and their leaders were on the board of directors of the bsa I and mean, these guys were very influential in scouting they left scouting and decided they would then run their own youth organization um but for a long time they they were a really big influence on stopping the scouts the corporation from dealing with this issue head on decades ago. They did not want to have, for instance, sex, anything they considered sex education in scouting. And so then if you wanted to talk to the boys about sex abuse, for instance, that was sex education. And the idea was, no, that's for us to talk about. Um, and it was very hard for the scouts to get past the fact that the churches, which they relied on to spread the program, and they were the biggest sponsors by far, the foundation of scouting, you could argue, were, were churches of all types. Uh, very hard for this BSA corporation to to get past the churches on this issue and, and to deal with it in an upfront way. Mm, it's so complicated, the whole yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the issues with allowing black people as well. I mean, you have the Mormon church was not very good on that either. Right, so I'm not right. surprised they left as that. But, you know, that's the whole thing to get to get into. And, and what what is the... 
just going back to the Boy Scouts, I mean, again, I, I didn't know much about, most of what I know from it is about, is from like The Simpsons and, yeah. you know, you're sort of looking at uh, magnifying glasses and uh, the moss seems to grow on this side of the tree, but don't eat these yeah. berries because they're different to other berries. Is yeah. that what's, and is it a weekly thing? Is it how often, or is it like a camp that are there for a few weeks or is it all throughout the year? It's throughout the year. Um, generally what happens in the States is you get recruited, so to speak, you sign up at the beginning of the school year in the fall, um, and but you can mm -hmm. sign up anytime. Um, and then it's, it comes, it comes to be weekly. Uh, and, and some of the stronger troops uh, have camp outs, you know, almost every month, including throughout the winter. We definitely meet year round. If, if you're a good active troop, um, you are involved in scouting, uh, you know, on, on an almost daily basis, uh, you're doing something, whether you're working on a merit badge or preparing for camp. Um, yeah. And a lot of this is the, the great outdoors, you know, uh, it just amazing. Like I admire what they do. Um, you know, just the idea yeah. of camping in the winter. <laughs> uh, but also, as you said, knowing about the moss and, and I, I can't do that stuff. I'd never built a birdhouse. Um, you know, much yeah. less, um, there are projects all over my town here, um, that Eagle Scouts have done, you know, community improvement projects that have the name of the Eagle Scout who, you know, built this sign or took care of this road or, uh, you know, uh, built benches for the park. Um, I just think it's wonderful what they do. And uh, then hopefully, you know, if it weren't well, the parents are very involved. You need that. Um, you know, the parents are volunteers. They're running the sales. They're 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 doing all this thing. I mean, our good troop is really integrated in the community. Uh, and just like, you know, when I was coaching and running youth leagues, it was kind of similar. If you had a really good uh, baseball team or wrestling team, et cetera, um, you could almost keep in touch with each other year round. And the more the parents are involved, the better. I would say that one of the key issues in abuse and scouting and what we're talking about is, in fact, when parents are not very involved, that's another way that these guys can get access to the kids and keep things quiet. Because when you're kind of running the show on your own or just a couple of guys are really carrying all the weight, uh, it's easy to get away with a lot of things. Um, and that happened quite a bit. I had a molester complain to me about how... How infrequently parents helped him with, run the troop. He just said, you know, 12 kids would come to my house for a camp out and I'd be left alone with 12 kids and no parents, even though some had said they would come along. So it was just me and these kids. And he didn't like it because he had this responsibility uh, to, to watch all these kids. But he was also amazed by the fact that these parents would abandon them. You know, um, one of the things I learned as a, as a dad, I became a dad fairly late in my 30s. So it was after I did mm -hmm. this research. And I remember one guy saying to me, one offender saying, if your kid's involved, you should be involved. Bottom line, somehow. Don't, you, you know, people would call BSA the babysitters of America sometimes. So don't use this as a babysitting service. And I, you know, for better or worse, I was always deeply involved in my kids' activities, even if it just meant showing up at the track and field practice and sitting in the stands or reading a magazine. But I would volunteer as much as I can and put time in. I know not all parents can do that. Uh, I only had three kids. It was easy enough for me to do that. But um, I wasn't doing this, by the way, because I thought the coach was a molester. <laughs> I did it because mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's good for the kids. But also, yeah, you do want to see what's going on. And frankly, if these guys see an involved parent, that's a kid they will more likely stay away from. When they see an abandoned wow. kid, that's... And I had these guys tell me flat out, I would target the kids whose parents were never around. Or who, the kid who, who basically had a troubled home relationship. And so... Those are the kids who are really going to literally embrace uh, the attention of of some of a, of a trusted adult, and in most of the cases that's fine. But sometimes it's not. So um, yeah, you you want to be involved. Um, as and so if these things run well, you have a lot of uh, 
interaction and integration among the families and, and the organization. Man, it's it's oh, it's journalistically it, it's incredible being able to sit down and speak with these people who have done right. heinous mm-hmm. acts. Yeah. Um, do you get the impression they're sort of like are they talking to you sometimes? And I guess they're all different each each one, but are they talking to you a bit like? Um, because they love, as we said before, they sort of love children in a platonic sense as well as, unfortunately, the other sense. Right. Like, oh, what, you know, those stupid parents, I wish they'd been there because then I wouldn't have done what I did. Is that yeah. going on? A little bit of that, but I never found them blaming anybody else for what they did. And I think the reason, though, is I was talking to guys post-conviction and mostly had they been through some kind of treatment. And uh, in fact, I sat in on some uh, sex abuse, uh, sex offender groups in prison. Uh, and heard the conversations among guys. So um, it's not unlike if you've sat in somewhat like it at Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I mean, the point is to be pretty frank about yourself and focus on yourself. So I think I felt that these people who talked to me, I spoke with eight convicted molesters for the book. And I think one of the things was, you can sound trite, but when you've been through this and you've been self-reflective, they sent, they said to me, they want to do something about what they did. They want to make amends. And they felt that one of the ways I can do that is to help other people protect their kids from people like me. Um, I had molesters who didn't talk to me, but also write letters to me saying, no, I'm not going to talk to you. But uh, I remember one in particular, an incredibly prolific man uh, in Chicago, who just said, no, I won't talk to you, but um, just you know, really care and be with your kids so that you, you, they won't be exposed to people like me. He just wasn't ready, I think, to, to be frank about what he had done yet. Um, but I think they wanted to help. I mean, honestly, they, they wanted, they didn't want to do this again. Uh, I mean, if you've been locked up for this, um, it, you know, you, you can imagine it to say life changing. I can't even know. I don't even know how to describe how life changing it is. Um, but yeah, I had a couple who were, like I said, um, angry, uh, at parents, not blaming them for, for what they did, but saying there's a lot of guys like me. And it's interesting how much they will be angry at other other people who do this. I mean, to a point where they really hate yeah. them and want to explode. Uh, yeah, I had a I had a guy tell me that he was very suspicious of a troop leader in another town, and he almost reported him. But this is while he was doing the same thing in his troop. Wow! Because he said, and he he was self reflective enough to say, because to me, I cared about the kids and I had relationships with them the way you or I might have relationships with an adult. And this guy was oh just gosh. this guy was just using the kids. I could tell he didn't have he didn't have real relationships with them. He was just using them. Uh, you know, to get access to him physically. Um, so he didn't call him in because he was afraid that his all, his whole story would unravel as well. But um, yeah, there's this, this self-deception that goes on as well, that you're, you yeah, really care yeah. for the kids. And I'm the one who cares for the kids. And this is a relationship. And you know, the problem is a lot of ways it is. You're still causing incredible harm. But um, if you think of any abusive adult relationship, you can hear the same kind of thing, right? The same, the perpetrator is still saying, I really love this person. I care about them. And uh, you know, and, and, and on, one, on one level, they probably do, but it allows them to deny what they're doing. Yeah, no, nobody else will love you the way I do um, <laughs> yeah. when they, you know, when they get rejected. That kind yeah. of just the levels of narcissism and delusion are just, you know, that's why that German clinic. That's why they want to get them in to therapy because right. it's something you can work on. Is 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 quite 
try to disabuse them of their uh, cognitive biases because they say they love children. Uh, well, if you do, then you should know about the harm you're causing them because otherwise you just they just go to the dark web, they talk to other people like them, right. and they all say, oh no, it happened to me and I was fine. And they just convince themselves of, of these things. How, how does it work? Um, and I, you know, you don't have to go into too much detail just because people, people don't want, want those, those images necessarily, but I think right. you should be aware how it actually tends to happen. Are we talking about you know, bits of touching? How do they get the kids away from other kids? Well, what are the other kids thinking is going on? You know, what, what goes on typically? Yeah, there's a process called grooming, and that mm. is where somebody kind of, I'll say, you know, gets a kid, you know, tests things out, gets close to a kid, and this may involve a lot of things. It might be just befriending the kid, finding out the kid's interest, playing chess with them, you know, have a catch. Uh, there's also uh, being befriending the parents uh, because that also says, mm. you know, this is a trusted adult, you know, that, you know, Carl stays in my house, comes over for dinner, that kind of thing, uh, and then you might gradually, uh, you know, do activities alone with the kid and it could be driving the kid on and then it can get you're right sometimes there's some gradual touching a back rub is a very common initial effort i can think will the kid put up with this i talked to several guys who started that way and if i go you know yep certain so far will the kid object um and then that gradually escalates but they'll also use things to loosen the kids up like sometimes alcohol sometimes pornography uh a couple guys would do some kind of I say things with the kids that the kids knew were wrong. So, for instance, you let a 14-year-old drive your car, uh, you know, in a safe place. And so now you become almost a fun big kid, you know, or fun big brother, the guy. And then you have secrets between yourself and this guy and your parents. And that is a really big thing. If you can get a kid to keep secrets about that kind of thing, then there's a good chance you're going to get that kid to keep secrets about the sexual activity that goes on. Because then you're really going to get in trouble, right? And all sorts of things are going to unravel. So I, I talked to several kids who said, you know, by the time this happened, I was kind of in deep with the guy on other stuff. And I, and also, he's an authority figure. You know, he's the scout leader. He's at the house. Um, so you build up that sense of this guy is trusted and people won't believe me as well. So in most cases, it's pretty gradual. Every now and then you have first or second time you meet somebody. But, you know... Uh, experts on this told me it's not unlike the seduction process that goes on between adults. Uh, you know, you do things together. You find things that you do together. You enjoy each other's company. And then it, it grows to a, 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 somebody tries a sexual aspect of their relationship and it either gets rebuffed or doesn't. Um, and that's, that's how you know when to continue. But how are they spending this time, even if it is just like letting them drive your car or yeah. like these kinds of activities, and then obviously the abuse itself, how are they getting this time alone with that one child? Yeah, well, they, they build up trust with the parents. A lot of times, for instance, in scouting, it's, uh, we're going to work on the merit badge in my apartment, you know, uh, or we're going to have a, 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 we have a camp out and they're going to sleep over tonight. But guess what? All the other kids bowed out. Only you're sleeping over, Andrew. Uh, yeah, the other kids oh, are just going to come in the morning. Um and, you know, if, if you're, I, I talked to several uh, offenders who were frequent guests at the kid's house. And so you might leave with them to go shopping, run an errand, something like that. Uh, you might have them over for the birthday. If, if you have a certain skill set as a scout leader, let's say it's a shooting, for instance, right? Or, you know, any, any work or any, anything else. Um, there's all sorts of reasons for the kid to spend time with you 
uh, you know, working on that thing, or because maybe your dad or mom don't do that thing. Maybe they're not they're not into guns, or maybe they're not into hunting, or maybe they're not into like I said, you know, building birdhouses and benches and things like that. But this guy is, um, you know, uh, Carl, the guy who I featured in the book, is frequently had a lot of kids at his house just doing stuff. It was a hangout. Uh, kids would bike over after school, and he was an outdoorsman, so they would work on things. They would build things. They would fix their bikes. You know how to fix bikes. Um, and most of these kids had only that kind of relationship with him. And that's really hard for a lot of people to get past. Um, you know, I talked to many kids who knew Carl and he said, they said, he never tried anything with me. And that's how I knew him. And, and they were very shocked to find out about the abuse, but you know, he, he wasn't, those kids weren't his target for whatever reason. Yeah, I know, but I've done I've I've done so many stories about this kind of thing. You know, the research in Germany as right. well. So you do get a little bit desensitized to an extent, but oh, also, yeah, yeah it's this is a slightly new territory uh, for me. And just thinking about the sort of uh, countrywide uh, structure involved, but right. it was also it got me thinking about um, a former guest on this show, Jan Broberg. Do, do you know about that abducted yeah. in plain sight documentary? Yeah. What you said about befriending the parents. It was this guy, awful guy, who. He befriended, I think they were Mormon, the parents, and they were a little bit like, not all Mormons are, but some Mormons have this sort of naivety, you know, I don't know. And so he befriended them to such an extent that he even had an affair with the mum and with the dad. Like, he got the dad to do something with him. So they were both like in his secret charge. So then he would just like take the girl and then he told her that aliens wanted... It's just the maddest story ever. He told the girl, Jan aliens have told her you know we have to procreate unfortunately and just like took her away for months at a time wow. and because the parents were so like guilty about what they had done they like didn't do anything and it just sort of okay no but everything's fine everything's fine and unfortunately it was just awful that's that's on netflix abducted in plain sight just um but awful thing now that's a that's a familiar story in scouting I mean, that, that happened as well. Yeah. Um, with, and where the sexual thing happens with the parents as well. They, they, again, I'll keep talking about Carl, the guy, um, and he, he's deceased now. Yeah. Um, he had an affair with the uh, mother of his victim. Um, and so she felt, she, and the, their marriage wasn't going real well. The father actually was gay and was having affairs with men. <sighs> so it was, it was a mess of a family at the time. And then this kid, you know, is spending time with this man. So his mother, he didn't know what was going on with his mom and, and the scout leader, but his mother obviously really trusted this guy. And so, yeah, she felt, of course, incredibly guilty, as you can imagine, when she found out what had happened. She had literally driven her son to the guy's house and said, you know, you do what Carl tells you to do. You know, listen to him. He's a good man. Um, and, and the boy, Christopher Schultz, who had uh, committed suicide uh, after being abused, um, his, his scout leader was also a Franciscan brother. So he was a teacher at the Catholic school. Um, and his mother said, you know, you listen to brother Edmund, you know, obey brother Edmund. And this is what you do, right? Cause you're, you're taught. And they, they felt incredibly betrayed, not just by the scouts, but by the church, of course. Um, so Christopher went along because this is what mom said. And these kids don't feel at that point. I think this is the word, word the point you were making as well, that they can tell on this guy. Um, when, when you see that his, the family has invested so much of their trust in, in that person. Can you imagine that as a kid trying to say, you know, I, I, there was a, one story of a kid who got his parents slapped him and said, don't ever talk that way about a priest because the priest was also the scout leader. And when the kid told his parents about this, um, that's how the parents react. Now, that's unusual. Most parents believe their children or at least know something happened. But uh, it's really difficult for a kid to come up against these authority figures. I mean, certainly the younger you are, the harder it is. 
must feel so trapped and just so yeah. like, where, where do you turn at right, that yeah. point? One of the now adults who, who was one of the victims just in that documentary on Netflix, um, he was saying, you know, you stole my childhood and yeah. you, 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 it was, it's gone. That, that's it. Um, and it made it feel like it was his fault. That's the worst part almost that you grow up feeling I did something wrong until this guy yeah. was in his 40s. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the victims, uh, freaking, that's the thing, the thing that some of them almost never get over, um, the feeling that there's wrong. And don't forget, you know, when you're talking about men with boys, there is a, a big, it's not just sex with an adult. It's the issue of homosexuality. And, you know, the boys, among the many other things like that you just brought up, is the idea that this must mean I'm gay. Or this means I'm going to be exposed as being gay, oh. even though I don't think I am. And I can't let people know that. I can't let my parents know that. I can't let my friends know that. And it is it really. And the fact is, uh, when you make this accusation, that's part of what happens. I mean, you, you, a kid can get that reputation. You know, word gets around. Um, it's it's a very hard thing to go through. Who is is Thomas Hacker? Is he was he one of the worst uh, of these people? Yeah, Thomas Hacker may have been the worst in terms of pure numbers. Uh, he, he was kind of the epitome of everything that goes wrong in scouting with abusers. Um, not only was he really prolific with boys, I mean, he had hundreds, he, by his own count, he had hundreds of victims over his lifetime. He was involved in several organizations. He ran a local park district. He had been a teacher at some point. But also what he did was uh, he moved around. He joined troops after he was kicked out of scouting. I mean, he would move and then join another troop. And it... You know, the, the scouts had said that well, there was some glitch in their system. He managed to get through because he changed his middle initial or something silly like that. You know, they didn't. You're supposed to have a system that, you know, if, if you sign up after you've been kicked out, I'm supposed to put your name up to national headquarters, and at some point in your registration system, they find out that you're banned and you got to get kicked out, and that would happen. But Hacker was a guy who would uh, quit, and he would basically be told to go away and don't promise never to do this again. And this is how this was was handled. Was was really points out one of the biggest tragedies of this is that because people were so skittish about the issue including parents including police including the scouting organization or you could throw in the church or the school whatever the organization is everybody was relieved the adults were always relieved when the guy would just say okay i promise to stop i promise to get therapy and i'll I'll go away and i'll never do this again and everybody's like good okay that's done and we don't have to go through the embarrassment and frankly I mean, the kids probably felt the same way as well. I mean, who, want, who wants to go through this? So then some of these guys would uh, just wait a little while and they would, uh, you know, join another organization, either a school or a troop or, 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 you know, a sports organization and do it all over again. You know, it's very hard for them. If they're truly, if this is truly an addiction or preference, you know, really young kids, you don't just get over that by being scared away. You know, it's going to come back. And so... And, and for the organizations that protect themselves, allegedly, by quietly letting these things go, number one, convincing police or parents not to press charges, which they did, or if there were charges, keeping it really quiet and the guy maybe doesn't go to prison or gets very little time, um, that turned out to be a disaster um, because these guys are probably going to commit the offense again with other kids. We've talked about... Um, I suppose people letting things slip because they want to yeah. protect their organization. Yeah. But to what extent, or, or is there any evidence of a systemic, um, you know, deliberate push to sort of form from higher up? We're going to have this group because we want to have myself and several other people being able to do this to children. Is there mm-hmm. any anything from above? 
not that I saw at corporate level. Now, I tell you, there are some mm-hmm. attorneys in the States who insisted to me that that's got to be going on and we should look into it. Um, boy, there was a, there were a couple of cases where men formed troops specifically to have access to boys for sexual reasons. The, the most famous one was in New Orleans uh, back in the 1970s. And, uh, you know, these guys, several friends did get together. They recruited kids door to door. They formed the troop from scratch. Uh, and that's what it was. It was a sex ring. And these kids were also even traded with other uh, offenders in other states. I mean, it was a, wow. it was a significant sex ring. There was a lot of pornography in the house, et cetera. Um, there was a case in Jersey where two guys got together and found out they were both doing this. And they were both leaders in the same troop. And they just kind of turned the troop into that kind of thing. Uh, you know, on the, on the corporate level, the closest we came is the Boy Scouts at one point had a, uh, a person in charge of uh, the sex, the child sex protection uh, division. He turned out to uh, be, he ended up being plead, pleading guilty to having child porn on his computer. So he, he turned out to be mm-hmm. somebody who was in fact interested in this very thing um, and was convicted of child porn. And that was almost unbelievable in terms of fiction, right? When, when I heard about that, I said, wait a minute, your child protection chief turns out to have been, uh, you know, a, a, a guy who you know, looks at child porn. Um, how did you not know that, or how did that happen, and why did he join the organization? Um, from what we know, that was the extent of it. He, according to the eviction, he acted alone. This was his thing. Um, I think for the scouts, the DSA, there was just there was a very small number of men who knew about this, who had access to these files. Really, just three guys, uh, and they pretty much kept it to themselves, uh, and they, they even kept themselves ignorant of it. As a matter of fact, they didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the files. And um, yeah, I, I think their idea was. We, like you said, we need to keep the movement going. We need to keep the cause going. We need to keep our jobs. Um, and so they, they allowed it to perpetuate in a way that just out of their own ignorance. That guy who became like the top of child protection and was actually viewing that stuff, that's obviously a concerted effort. And it, like right. whether it's hiding in plain sight like Jimmy Savile in the UK right. with his charity work and hospitals yeah. and stuff, or whether it's just like a, a genuine, as we talked about before, a genuine care to stop other men doing it. But when he does it, it feels like it's all right to him. Yeah. There must be so many men uh, around the world right now who are pushing to get into those kinds of positions of power who we can't trust. So is is the lesson never trust anybody, especially people who seem really great and are friendly to you and want to take your kids out to help them, you know, with shooting or whatever it might be? You know, that's, that's such a difficult question. And I hope that's not the lesson. Um, but, <laughs> you know, people say you can't trust anybody. I think... The lesson is to have your eyes open and to not to don't discount the fact that somebody can be doing something. So let's say teacher of the year, right? Uh, the, the guys in the FBI unit that dealt with child sex abuse used to say that their phrase was beware the teacher of the year. And, and that's a, a sad and cynical thing to say, but it was also true because they saw so many guys who had won that literally won that award. Um, so I think you just have to, wow. you can trust them, but you know, our trust has to be earned. Uh, and not just giving away. And I think as a, as a parent, just like you may have your kid go down the street to a neighbor's house because he knows he befriends, you know, little Andrew and Andrew's parents are nice and you go over and spend the time. Um, you, you've got to ask about what they do. Uh, hey, what'd you do today? Just and, and also you have to be very, very aware of things that might be inappropriate. I would just say that, you know, coaches and, and people, you know, youth group leaders shouldn't be trying to spend much time, if any, with your kid alone. You know, if they say, mm-hmm. I can pick so-and-so up or he can sleep over my house the night before, 
Yeah, I'm not saying you would never do that. There are people who you get to know really well, uh, including in your own family. But you've got to be be aware that it does happen in families, right? Um, you got to be aware that this yeah. can happen all the time. And you don't need to be an investigator and try to look everybody up. But I think your own attention and, and really, like I said, what, what the molesters told me is be involved in your kids' lives. Um, if there's a teacher or, or coach or somebody who's getting really close to your kid, you should be there too. Uh, maybe you become friends with that person. Maybe you're the one that goes over the house and hangs out with them. There's a couple of reasons for that. One of which is then you can see what's going on, but also you're signaling to those other adults that you're an involved parent. And, uh, and that will, will scare them off. When, when, when they see a kid who seems to be abandoned and have a, have a big gap in their lives, that's where they move in. It's so hard because I know you say, uh, you know, ask what's going on or, or find out what they got up to. And so, but by that point, it's too late. So even if it's just happened once. Right. Oh, man. I, I guess like on the other side, because we're doing a lot of fear mongering. And yeah. uh, if it's about a 1% chance, that's what I gather is, is the facts for, for men that they are like that. Then anyone you are dealing with, there's a 99% chance that they are not uh, interested in children. But as you say, it does seem to be. Boy Scouts aside, it's it's always someone you know, and it's almost always somebody in your in the family, right? And that's just insane because everybody listening now, watching now, is going, "Well, hang on, my brother or sister or <laughs> uncle or whatever, yeah. like not in a million years, and I, you can't leave your kid with them suddenly. It's just impossible, right? Yeah, it's the phrase trusted others, um, and that's what uh, some abuse experts would talk about. And there is a is a risk in that. Um, you have a lot of people, adults, you trust in your your world uh, with with yourself and your kids, yeah. your money, your car. Um, and what do you do? I, I think, it, and I, I appreciate what you said. We're doing a lot of fear monitoring for the vast majority of people, whether it's scout leaders, uncles, um, this doesn't happen. Um, uh, you just have to be aware, but it's really hard as a parent. Um, and it's easy to say that the, the, you know, the better relationship you have with your child, the more likely you are to find out about this sooner, but you're right. Sometimes, you know, yeah, you ask a kid what happened and, you know, one kid, you know, when he was cross-examined by a, a scout attorney about why he kept the abuse secret so, so long. And he said, um, you know, the kid was a teenager by the point of the lawsuit, so he could be a wise guy. And he said, well, I wasn't going to go home and said I had a great scout meeting. He kissed me and fell my generals. Um, you know, you're not going to just tell your parents that that's what happened. But he said, what am I going to do? Um, you know, you, you hope that your kid, without you seeming like you're suspicious or adult, you hope your kid will tell, do something. You know, the, the, the pain of this really occurs over time and with the repetition, right? So a, a case of abuse is a horrible thing to happen. But the real damage to both the kids and the organizations, even in the movements, the scandals that come up or when it happens over a long period of time. I think if you're uh, a parent is alert, um, you can at least you, yes, you want to prevent it, but you also want to find out about it soon and stop it soon. If it's happening, it's the perpetuation that that just does enormous damage, sometimes irreversible damage to kids. Patrick, where should we send people? Should we send them to to your book uh, as well as the documentary, I suppose? Yeah, I think so. I think that's great. You know, um, Scouts Honor is a book. You, it's a uh, it's out of print, so people can get it through. Usually, people call me and say, "Can I get a copy?" You have to get it through Amazon or, or eBay or something like that. Uh, there is a Kindle version of it, though. Um, and if you go oh, to PatrickBoyle.us, you'll find some some links to the material as well. Thank you, Patrick Boyle. People do go get scouts on a sexual abuse in America's most trusted institution. Check out the Netflix uh, show as well. It's, you know, fascinating. It's a grueling watch, a grueling read. But 
it's educational, as I say. It's something that we need to learn more about. Um, all sorts of big episodes are coming up. I always say that, and it's it always turns out to be true, doesn't it? Just just keeps keeps happening. All these these wonderfully interesting episodes. Um, I, I, I'm never quite sure how the order is going to be in the end, but I think Peter Bogosian is on coming up soon. Um, there's more Aaron Smith Levin. There's James Essis, who was uh, fired for his gender critical views for all fired off of his student course uh, which was pretty pretty much well pretty much pretty you know intense so i hope you guys will enjoy those and i will see you next time with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.